Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You notice he speaks of the present, and then he speaks of the future. Can I read that one more time? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell or shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And then the Lord Jesus speaking to his disciples hours before his death on the cross, gives these promises in John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, and then verse 16 and 17. Sarah, if you will go to that. Thank you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me, or believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. Now, the King James, and I like the King James, in my Father's house are many mansions. And then Jesus said, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And when I go and prepare a place for you, why do we believe that Jesus is coming back? Jesus said it. Listen to this. I will come again. Why do we believe that we're going to heaven as Christians, followers of Christ? Because Jesus said it. I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And two other verses out of that chapter, Jesus speaking about in his absence, God's presence is going to be with believers. And listen to what he says. And I will pray the Father, he will give you another counselor or comforter to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. And folks, again, underline, highlight, these words, you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these verses of scripture, not only from a king of the Old Testament, but the king from heaven, even Jesus, your son. And God, help our hearts and minds to be open today as the spirit of God reveals the truth that these words point out. God, I pray that I will be silenced and that you will speak through your word. And God, you would be lifted up. And God, may we know that you're present with us. And when you're present, your grace is abundant toward us. Bless us all, Father, as we worship you together. In Jesus' name, amen. For the last six Sundays, we've talked about God's grace. So let me again define it, okay? God's unmerited, free, spontaneous love for sinful man revealed and made effective in Jesus Christ. Another way we could define it, God's riches at Christ's expense. And also we pointed out over and over again how the Bible talks of God's grace in Christ, the entire Bible. The Old Testament points to the cross, which is God's greatest symbol of his grace. The New Testament gospels reveal God's grace at the cross. And then in Acts through Revelation, it points back to the cross. And we've looked at God's grace revealed in at least five ways. We've looked at the first three, God's saving grace, God's grace that brings peace, God's grace that leads us and upholds us through trials. But today... In the following Sundays, when I speak again, 
uh, we're going to look at the last two together, okay? And I, I just want to, again, I, I know that every Sunday I pointed this out, but I want to mention this again. God's grace, as he promised in his word, to be with us throughout our lives. And, folks, each day God promises that his grace, his unmerited, free, spontaneous love is with us. And a fifth thing, God's grace will be experienced by the believer throughout eternity. And folks, there's something that we need to remember as Christians. When you and I enter death's door into eternity, into being with God forever and ever, his grace will never end. And folks, that is just kind of mind-boggling to me. But let's get back on track, okay? This morning, in this passage of Scripture, and and Sarah, if you'll just scroll back to that first frame with with Psalms 23, verse 6, and just leave it there. That's... I'm going to read some more scripture to you out of this is the one I want us to focus on. And folks, I don't know if you have ever just given some time to meditate on, on, on these words. And I'll read um, the first phrase. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's in the King James and the Revised Standard. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The Good News Bible says, I know that your goodness and love will be with me all my life. And the Living Bible says, your goodness and unfailing kindness shall be with me all of my life. Folks, listen. The the word grace is not used here. But you see, in the Old Testament, the words goodness and the words mercy and the words uh, love and the word kindness, all of these are equivalent in the Old Testament to the New Testament word for grace. And folks, I want to point something out. And again, I pray that God would help me, would help me to be clear in in sharing with you this morning. I want to point something out. To me, Psalms 23.6 is one of the most profound testimonies of God's love and grace for us found in the Old Testament. And folks, What I'm trying to point out is God's grace is revealed by his personal presence with us. And one of the great truths in the word of God, if God is present, his grace is present and it is overflowing. And so please hang with me. I just want you to just look at the first part of that verse, those first two lines that there surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. And he says, me, he's getting very personal. And he says, how long? All the days of my life. From the womb to the tomb, someone has said, God's grace abounds for us. So David is saying that he knew God's goodness and mercy, his grace would be with him every day of his life because he had experienced it every day by the presence of the Lord. And again, I'm going to repeat myself, I hope, to, make, to drive this truth home. God's grace is revealed and shown to us every day by his presence with us. And when God is present with us, he is pouring out his grace upon us. And I want to encourage you, tomorrow is a holiday for most of you. Please take a few minutes of your time to separate yourself from everything else that's going on. Now, I'm not saying don't be with your family take it easy sleep late do whatever you do on a holiday but folks please spend some time in meditating on how God has been with you 
and realize how much grace he pours out on you every single day. And let me try and explain that. You see, even when we're sinners rebelling against God, God is seeking us out, and God is present with us. Now, that's an overwhelming thought to me, that even while we are in sin, even though we have separated ourselves from God, God does not separate himself from us. Now, yes, sin does put a barrier between us and God, but God is constantly with us. And one of the, one of the best examples of that is Adam and Eve. When Adam and Eve sin in, in, in Genesis chapter 3, you remember they hear, and let me read this is Genesis 3, verses 8 and 9. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. They knew that God was among them. And so in their sinful state now, they run and hide from God. But guess what? God in his mercy and his grace comes to them. And folks, listen. Verse 9. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That is one of the most important questions in the Old Testament. God speaking to sinful mankind saying, where are you? And Charles Stanley said this. I heard him say this on TV years ago. And I just want you to listen to this. When God asks a question, it is not because he doesn't know the answer or, or is seeking our assistance or opinion. God asks a question to teach us about himself. Amen. And here, God knows where Adam and Eve are at, but he's getting ready to teach them one of the great lessons that we can learn about God. Here, God is teaching Adam and Eve of his constant presence, even after they have sinned. And folks, if we sinned against God and he just abandoned us, what type of God would that be? Now, folks, that should drive us away from sinning against him because he loves us so much. But let me give you another quick example, Jonah. God called Jonah to go to Nineveh. What was his response? You remember the story well. Jonah went away from the presence of God. But folks, the, the story is that you and I cannot get away from the presence of God until we reject him completely and totally and are cast into hell by our own decision-making. But that's another sermon. But folks, God would not give up on Jonah. You remember the story? In God's grace, God prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And you might say, it doesn't sound like grace to me. Oh, yes, it is. It was a great storm, right? They cast Jonah out of the boat. He would have probably drowned immediately if he hadn't been swallowed by that fish. Do you realize that? For three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, Jonah just, I believe, salt. I ain't turning to God. I ain't turning to, I don't know how I would say that in Hebrew. I isn't turning, I'm joking. I'm not turning to God. And then he prays. And he realizes he has been running away from the one who loves him more than any other. Amen. And in those moments, in the belly of a great fish, God hears his prayer. And Jonah knows that God has been with him. Folks, the great story of the gospel is that when Jesus came to earth, and the gospel records try and tell this, when Jesus came, it was because God is with us. You remember the angel told Joseph, you'll name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. You remember John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. 
You remember Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came seeking the lost sheep. He came seeking you and me. But what's the point in all of this? Well, Psalms 23 has many truths, and one of them is what David had found out, that God had been with him all of his life, and God and being with him all of his life surrounded him with grace, goodness, and mercy. It is thought that Psalms 23 was written when David was an old man. It's at the latter point in his life, and he is testifying to his family, to the people, and to the nation of God's presence with him, which also meant God's grace. Let me just give you some quick highlights of David's life. In 1 Samuel 16, Saul has rejected, has been rejected by God as king because of his rebellion and pride, and the people want another king. They don't know who is going to be the new king, and, they, and God sends Samuel to a man named Jesse who has a number of sons. And one by one, you know the story, one by one, each of the sons comes before Samuel, the prophet, whom God is going to tell, this is the one I want you to anoint as king. And as each one comes, God said, no, that's not the one. And Samuel cannot understand. And God says to him, do not look on his appearance or the height of his statue. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks in the heart. And so David is chosen as God's anointed. And in verse 13 of that same chapter, 1 Samuel 16, the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David. God began to be present in David's life. Another highlight, David slays the giant Goliath. How does he do that? Does he have the best weaponry? Absolutely not. He comes to Goliath in the name of the Lord. He knows that as he fights his battles, God is going to be standing there with him. And you and I know the story. He has picked up five smooth stones because he's got a shepherd's sling. And he takes one of those slings. And this Philistine, who has the best armor of anybody on the planet, David takes that sling and that rock and he casts it and he kills Goliath. Folks, it was because of the presence of God. And Saul and the others said, don't you go out there against Goliath. You'll, you'll not succeed. And you remember what David says? David told Saul, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And here's the point, folks. Do you and I understand that having the presence of God with us, a God who outpours his, his, his grace upon us, he will protect us even in the face of the enemies that you and I have every day. And guess what? The nation of Israel began to see that God was with David. It's sad that after he is anointed to be the new king, Saul becomes very, very jealous. And there are many opportunities that Saul seeks to kill David. I've never had anybody, I think, that wanted to kill me yet, except a lady sitting back in the choir. Um, I'm just seeing if y'all are still with me. I'm talking about my wife, none of the other ladies back there, okay? But, but listen... Listen, Saul can't do it. And you know why? 1 Samuel 21, 14, Saul sought David every day, but God did not give him into his hand. And folks, knowing that Saul tried to kill David, don't you think that Psalms 23, verse 4, takes on new meaning? Listen to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For thou art with 
me. Even when David sinned, and a dark moment in David's life is found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, David committed adultery with another man's wife named Bathsheba. Not only did he do that, but he had her husband, Uriah, killed. And he was living a lie before Israel. But God did not abandon David. He sent the prophet Nathan to convict David of his sin and assured David of God's continual love, mercy, and grace in his life. Now, David had to face the consequences of his sin. The baby died. His own son rebelled against him. But in his grace, God forgave him, restored him, and God continued to be present in his life, even promising that a descendant of David would become the king. That's why David knew, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Folks, I want to ask you something. I know my time's about up, but I ask you just for a couple more minutes. Are you and I experiencing the presence of God every day and experiencing his presence, experiencing his goodness, mercy, and grace? And folks, this morning, I want, I'd like to give two brief testimonies, okay? And, and I don't want you, I'm not talking about me, but folks, David, he shared, and I want to share with you. And I think I've shared this story with you before, perhaps many times, I don't know. Before I was saved, God was watching over me. Amen. I didn't realize it then. When I was about 16 years old, and this is just one of the many times that God was watching over me. One Sunday afternoon, you could hunt in South Carolina, and I'm sure you still can on Sundays, and I understand that you can do it in North Carolina now. But at that time in my life, I didn't need God. I needed to go hunting. And I was with a group of my friends in the watery swamp. We were all in a boat that was overcrowded. We were going up a creek to get to a remote spot for a couple of different reasons. Number one, so that the game warden wouldn't catch us. We'd be so far back. Because, you see, we were going back with the excuse of shooting some wild hogs we hoped on some of the small islands, but we wanted to kill some ducks. And duck season was not in. Perhaps I'm boring you with this story. I'll get to the point. I had on my chest waders as an official duck hunter. I had my hunting coat filled with buckshot shells and magnum fours. And I had the prized possession of my life, my Remington 1148 automatic shotgun. The world was wonderful until my friend's dad, who was operating the motor on the boat, ran up on a stump, and we began to turn up like that. And we were going to capsize. All I could see was going in that water with the waders on, weighted down with my shotgun shells, and I would not let go of my prized possession, my shotgun. And I haven't mentioned to you that I can't swim either. It would have been bad. I thought my time had come. You ever had one of those moments when life flashed before you? My life, life flashed before me. God could have taken me out at that point. And folks, I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand that God loved me, but I knew the way I'd live that I would die and go to hell. I don't know why I knew that, but I did. And I think it was the Spirit of God saying, you need to get some things right. 
I believe it was the hand of God that reached down that day at Watery Swamp and kept that boat from turning over and saving my life and the life of my friends. And months later, God would reach down and save my soul. And I thank him for that. And one other quick testimony. And I'm talking about the presence of the Lord. I ain't talking about me. I'm not talking about me, okay? And I really prayed about whether I should share this because I don't want anybody to think I'm bragging. I am not. I have a struggle with faith. And one of my biggest fears as a minister has been that I would quit God. And the jury's still out on me. The last chapter's not written in the book of my life, and I know that. But right after I was saved in May of 1968, I felt called to go into the ministry. I was a rising senior in high school. I was poorly educated, and that was my fault. I had $125 stashed away for a fishing or a hunting boat. How could I become a minister? But God provided for me. And God was with me. Four years of college quickly went by. God provided a wife. We entered into seminary with just enough money for the first semester. But God was present. In his grace, he provided. In the second year of seminary, all the other guys were getting a church, the pastor. And and I'll be honest, jealousy is a trait that many ministers have. And I was jealous of them. God why don't you give me a church? (laughs) I think some of y'all know the reason. But anyway, um, in September of 1976, at the age of 25, God opened the door for me to become the pastor of Moncure Baptist Church. It was a part-time church. We had 20 or 25 on Sunday morning for worship. We felt good. When I finished seminary, I was struggling because we weren't making enough money and And I had to get a job with the Department of Agriculture. So I worked full-time with the Department of Agriculture and I worked part-time at the church. And then I was even a less part-time husband and father. But God provided in his grace. When I turned 25, I thought if I'm going to be a pastor the rest of my life, it it will take 40 years. I can't retire until I'm 65 and it will take 40 years. Can I be a pastor 40 years? And I doubted it. I just didn't think it could happen. Then in March of 1980, you allowed me the privilege to come and serve you. And God has been faithful. He has been present even in my worst and lowest moments for 40 years. God has poured out his love and his grace and his presence on an unworthy sinner and an unworthy pastor like me. And so I want to say, like David, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's grace. That's what he wants to do for all of us. And again, I'm not bragging about me. I'm bragging about God. It doesn't mean there won't be some bad moments in life, but it does mean that he will be with us every single day. God doesn't take Mondays or holidays off. He is always with us, regardless of what we're going through. And during those years, one of my favorite hymns became Have Faith in God. I would encourage you, if you're not familiar with this hymn, to look it up. And in the hymnal, it's 508. But I want you to listen 
to, to one of the phrases or the part of the first stanza. Just listen. Listen to these words. Never alone are the least of his children. Regardless of how low you might think you might be in God's order of people, you're not alone. I'm not alone. Never alone are the least of his children. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. He's on his throne. He watches over his own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God. Have faith in God. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us who trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior all the days of our life and then what comes next? I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we praise you and honor you. You are the God above all God. The word love and grace are not adequate enough from the human tongue to praise you for what you do for us on a day-to-day basis. But dear God, please, please help us to understand that it's not just once in a lifetime and it's not just for the day that we get saved, but Lord, you pour out your grace and your goodness and your mercy and your kindness out upon us every day because of your grace. And thank you that you do it as you are present with us. And God, I just pray that we would always know that you're there, even in the darkest moments that we face. God, I pray today that if there's someone here that has not yet trusted Christ as their Savior, in these moments, your Holy Spirit would speak to them, and they would know that you want them to know you by trusting your Son as the Son of God and the Savior of the world and inviting him to come into their heart to wash away their sin and make them right in your sight and to make them one of your children. God, please encourage us who are Christians. God, we don't know how much longer you have for us to to walk this life. But thank you, Lord, that there's not going to be a day that you're not going to be with us and you're not going to love us. So in these moments of decision, Father, I pray that you'll speak to hearts and you'll lead people to make the decisions that you desire them to make. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn is number 104, Amazing Grace. And we'll stand and sing, and as God leads you, would you come? Let us stand.
Thank you.